Welcome, everybody, to Soccer 101, the podcast in which we attempt to make sense of a football concept that can seem straightforward, but oftentimes has a lot more to it. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and this week we're tackling the English football pyramid. Graham Ruffin, how much pyramid research have you been doing? How far back did you go? How deep does the conspiracy go when it comes to the pyramids? Yeah, so I researched ancient Egypt and the Illuminati. I presume that's the same, we're on the same page here, right? (laughs) That's what this episode is about. Now, I would normally assume you're joking, but I believe you did just take some expired uh, cold medication before we started recording. So at this point, I don't really know if that is uh, a joke or reality as to what you've been researching. Yeah, it was the same stuff that Joe was on a couple of weeks ago, and oh, we boy. all remember that Patreon episode <laughs> where Joe was there in body but not spirit, so this should be fun. Indeed. So we are going to talk about the English League Pyramid. We had a question or, or two about this uh, previously, just about how it works, the structure itself, if a pyramid is the best way to describe it, all that good stuff. So, Graham, from a basic standpoint, from a basic explainer, what is the English League Pyramid when it comes to football in uh, England? Yeah, so first of all, it feels like there's been a, a flare-up of chat. The, the pyramid, as we know it, is often related to promotion and relegation. That's really the context for that discussion. I don't know if this is just me, but it feels like there's been a flare-up of chat about promotion and relegation in American soccer over the last uh, 12 months. So we're recording in October 2023, uh, and I think it's probably related to the Messi signing and this idea that now is the time for MLS to do everything it can to capitalise on that and... That's where you end up talking about pyramids and promotion and relegation. And then I think the purest pyramid in soccer is the English League Pyramid. It's certainly the the League Pyramid that's been in place for the longest. So there's plenty to talk about here. And the term pyramid, it refers to the structure of the different leagues in English soccer. So um, the word pyramid works because it is a bigger funnel at the bottom. (laughs) where you have a number of regional leagues that then feed into the National League and then up into the EFL, and then you have the Premier League right at the top. So when most people talk about the English pyramid, I I, I think they are generally talking about the top four divisions, which is the Premier League down to the Championship, then into League One, then into League Two. But there is a whole ecosystem of interconnected leagues below that. I think some listeners will be familiar with the National League, um, if they've watched Welcome to Wrexham, it feels like there, there's more awareness of that league now after that documentary. But even below the National League, there is a whole web of different divisions. Uh, and when we talk about funnels, reverse funnel systems, pyramids, we're not talking about schemes. We should say that up front. It is a legit thing, uh, but it can feel slightly confusing and slightly daunting because... You might, as you said, Graham, think of those first four divisions and be like, ah, four divisions, that's mostly straightforward, even when you have a breakaway league in the Premier League. Uh, but it goes much deeper than that. How many recognized divisions are there in England? Let's start there. Uh, divisions or, or, or clubs? Which do, you want, which do you want to start with? Either um, one. So, either one. Okay. So, so let's once get you, some let's numbers start, out of the way. Yeah. Let's, let's start with clubs, right? So once you take into account the myriad of, of different regional leagues, there are roughly... 5,000 different clubs in the English League Pyramid, which really hits home the depth of English English soccer. Uh, we'll maybe come on to this later when we talk about the level of support and things like that, but English soccer really is unmatched for its depth. It is insane. So it kind of varies year on year, obviously, because some clubs disappear, some clubs uh, start up, and some clubs have, have more than one team in, in, in the system as well, um, but there are 5,000 different clubs. In terms of the leagues, the levels, so... 
There are a total of 57 different leagues in England featuring 84 different English football league divisions. A little bit confusing there. There are 10 different levels of English soccer. So Premier League is one. Championship is uh, level two. League one is level three. League two is four. National League is five. That's nice and, and simple. Then below the National League is where it gets a little bit complicated and certainly broader. You have... National League North and National League South, which is the sixth level, obviously some uh, regional divisions there. Then level seven is the North Premier League Premier Division. What a title that is. Uh, The Southern Football League Premier Central, another great league. The Southern Football League Premier South and the Ismian League Premier Division. Then you have the eighth. Yeah, that's that's a great title. Then you have the eighth level, which is yet more regional leagues. And I'm not going to run you through the names of them because there are just too many to go through. And it's the same for level nine and ten. But the gist is levels 10, 9, 8, 7 and 6 are regional leagues. Then the regions get bigger as you go up from 10 up to 6. And then from level 5 above it is national leagues. All right. And so in terms of the structure, let's let's work it top down. Let's start Premier League. So we know uh, bottom three go down. Uh, then you get your top two from the championship automatically going up. You get some playoff spots. But ultimately, it's three down, three up in the Premier League. Uh, walk us through how it goes from there, Graham. Yeah, so there's mobility between all levels of, of the English league pyramid. You can theoretically go from the bottom, the very bottom. You can go from level 10 all the way up to level 1. Nobody has done that, but theoretically you can. Um, and as you say, between the top eight levels, promotion and relegation is, is you know pretty conventional. I'm not going to run you through every single level because that would get a little bit boring, but people know the championship promotion um, format, which is to automatically go up, and then it's a playoff system between the next uh, four teams. You have two semifinals, it goes into a final. The winner of that game goes up to the Premier League. It is pretty much the same all the way through the uh, um, the EFL divisions because that's the same league body they follow the same format so Championship League 1 League 2 follow the same thing then once you get to the National League the top team goes up automatically um, and then it is playoffs uh, to determine if uh, whether a second team goes up into the, uh, League 2 um, it gets even more complicated in the regional leagues where there is obviously a finite number of teams so if a, a team goes up they will often reshuffle the leagues and there will be a Nashville who are, you know, in the East one season and then in the West next season. So there can be a bit of variance there in, in, in terms of um, which teams are in which divisions. You, you aren't necessarily wedded to the the same division season on season. Obviously, some clubs never change, but others, um, there's a bit of fluidity there. And in my opinion, the mobility between the different levels of the pyramid is the lifeblood of English soccer. It, it becomes... I think it becomes, maybe this is my personal opinion and I'm editorialising a bit here, I think this whole thing becomes something different if you don't have that carrot dangling in front of all clubs. Anyone who has watched the latest season of Welcome to Wrexham will know a bit about Dorking Wanderers, which is an excellent name for a team. They have a very charismatic manager who is in that series as well. I see social media clips about him every so often. And Dorking Wanderers, they're what every club in the lower levels aspires to. They're a tiny little club. I think they get crowds of like under a 1,000. Um, and they have exceeded expectations over and over again. But they also have this sort of community purpose. And obviously clubs go in the other direction as well. Clubs fall through the divisions and that's not so positive. But as as so, as someone who is a fan of a club in a, in a big league pyramid that we have in Scotland, I can't imagine soccer without that mobility. That is the thing that keeps it interesting between the different levels. So yes, yeah, it's, it's the lifeblood of English soccer. 
this is very much a personal opinion question, Graham, because uh, I know there's no like hard data you're going to be pulling out about it. But what do you think is the biggest like where is the biggest golfing class? Is it from Premier League the Championship? Is it from League Two to uh, to like the divisions below? What what would you say is the hardest jump to make? So completely anecdotally, given what I know about the leagues, it feels like from the regional leagues into the national league okay. is a big jump. So for instance, this season, and look, they're not exact they're an exceptional case, but Wrexham have gone up to League Two um and they are very comfortable. They're not going to get relegated back to National League this season. Notts County is maybe a bit a better example where they don't have the Hollywood backers, but they are um I think up near promotion again this season. Um, There is certainly a gulf between the Championship and the Premier League, but nonetheless, we've seen clubs like Brentford or, uh, you know, this is going back a little bit, but Wolves establishing themselves. Villa came up from the Championship not so long ago. Now they're up in the European places. So that that gulf can be bridged. But it does feel like the size of club. When I went through the levels of support, which we'll, we'll come on to a little bit later on, there was a gulf between the regional leagues and the national leagues, that seems to be where it's quite difficult to establish to establish yourself. And that's where Doc and Wanderers are, are such an exceptional case because they've managed to do that. And then in terms of payment, in terms of full-time players, uh, top four divisions are all going to be professionals. They're professional teams. That is your profession for the most part. Maybe you'll get a few like moonlighting gigs here and there, but that seems exceedingly rare to me. When do you, do you get more semi-professional than when do you dip down into fully or almost entirely amateur? Yeah, so let, let's start at the, the bottom here. So the bottom three levels uh, of the pyramid, most clubs are amateur, meaning that players don't get paid at all. They do it for the love of the game and they do it to, I don't know, fend off the inevitable death spiral of getting a belly in middle age. That seems to be the motivation for a lot of mm. players down at, at that level. Uh, then once you get into leagues or levels seven and six, it's semi-pro, meaning um, players have day jobs, but they do still get paid for playing. So um, most commonly players will train on a Tuesday and a Thursday during the week and then they'll play on a Saturday and they'll get paid a small amount of money for uh, for doing that. Uh, and there, there are actually some semi-pro clubs in the, in the National League. So Dorking Wanderers, third mention of them in this show, they, they are semi-pro. Um, that is quite unusual, but there are that 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 um, the the split seems to be between the regional leagues and the national leagues, where you go from semi-pro to professional. National League, and certainly once you get into League Two and above, it's all professional. You know, all the, all those players are, are that's their day job. So that tends to be the the makeup of the pyramid. And and in terms of the overall quality. Like, at what point do you feel like you move from, like, the people you mentioned, like, people trying to fight off the beer gut, people who maybe can play a little bit, but you're getting a lot of, like, hoofing and heading versus intricate passing and, and uh, pretty sequences, basically. What, what, where, it, where does it start to sort of separate? Well, I don't know about intricate passes and and, <laughs> yeah, and sequences because I, I watched it. some I watched some National League football last season um, because of Wrexham. Those rights have been picked up by TNT Sports and BT Sports in the UK. Um, not great quality for no. the most part in, in in those games. I didn't see much intricate passing, but I think in terms of the fitness. Um, I keep coming back to this split between the regional leagues and the national leagues. I think it's just the split between semi-professional and professional, to be honest. I see that 
in Scotland with Sterling Albion, whenever we come up against a full-time team, you can just tell these yeah. guys are just, they're just fitter. They can go for longer. They look more physically imposing. They're not and so I would... cabs and doing plumbing jobs <laughs> in the day and then playing at night. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've got a few players who come off like 12-hour shifts and then play for Sterling Albion on, on a Saturday afternoon, which I always think is is quite impressive commitment to the cause but I think it's the same in English soccer pyramid that that split between semi-pro and professional is where you get the the big gulf in uh, in fitness and quality it is still confusing from an American perspective because I'll, ha- I'll have friends come over who played in the seventh or eighth divisions and they are very very good like probably could be division one players uh, and then we've seen League One, League Two players come over and have se- success in Major League Soccer, but we've also seen those players end up not being good enough to make it. So it feels like you're going to get some examples of players who, even at the lower levels, are extremely skilled and extremely capable, but then you'll have other instances of players who maybe aren't a- a- as solid, and I guess that is just how it works when you get into the kind of middle to lower levels of the English system. But I think overall, I, I maintain that I think most of the players I've played with who've played at a medium to higher level are all pretty, pretty good overall. Yeah. Well, it's that, it's that thing. Like I, I played with a, a kid at high school who played for uh, Sterling Albion and he played for Scotland Schoolboys and he was like light years ahead of the rest of us. He was playing a completely different sport. He, ne- he never made it. as like a, Even as a semi-professional, he kind of fell out of the game. So, yeah, I think whenever we... I'm always wary of that on like weekend review when we're talking about this This player had a terrible performance. They are still performing at such a high level and you will have quality players in, in, even at the lower levels of the English League pyramid. I mean, Jamie Vardy played a lot of his career mm-hmm. in the English lower leagues and look at what he's... Obviously, he's an exceptional case, but look at what he's gone on to achieve. So there is... There is a, you might have to look for it a little bit harder, but there is certainly quality in, in those areas of the pyramid. And when you're getting into the supporters of these like lower division clubs, so I, I remember I was playing uh, here in Virginia. I was playing in the amateur league against a guy with an accent, and I was and I kind of thought I had roughly the idea of where he was from. So I asked him like which club he he supported, and I was way off because he supported York, who I believe at the time okay. were in the the national league with Wrexham, like. How often do you get people who are sort of solely focused on that one club, even if they are non-league, even if they are lower down, versus do you tend to get a, I support this non-league club and then I also support Manchester City or something like that? I, th- I think you do get an element of that. I think it probably depends on the size of the club, right? So let's look at Wrexham. Wrexham are actually quite a big club. Average crowds of like fifteen to 20,000. They're building a new stand. That number will go up. And so I think just anecdotally, I don't really have any data to, to support this. I think most Wrexham fans support Wrexham only. I, I, I'd be surprised mm-hmm. if they have another club. They're, you know, they are quite close to some of the bigger English clubs, so maybe they go to Old Trafford or Anfield or the Etihad to get their fix of kind of elite level, Champions League level football. But um, I think, you know, in using my own experience at the lower levels of Scottish football with Sterling Albion, we have a little faction of fans that will go and watch Sunderland. The connection seems to be SAFC, is like that's the same you know acronym for abbreviation for both clubs. And so there's one of my friends that I sit with at the Sterling Albion games will go to. He's at um, West Ham, or he was at West Ham at the weekend. He's he's going to Germany to watch games. So I, I think you do get a little bit more mobility and fluidity in the lower leagues. But the depth of 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 support in the English lower leagues is is pretty incredible. I couldn't find. 
average attendances for the bottom two levels, but I did I, I did go through some individual matches at every level, and I kind of focused on a single club to get an idea of what the crowds were. So, Amersham Town, they're in uh, level ten of the English league system. Their last match was attended by thirty people. So obviously that is a very, very small crowd. Then I went up to level nine and I found Colney Heath as the club that I focused on. They had 90 people at their last match. Tier 8, Welland Garden City, 82 people at their last match. So kind of similar between eight and nine. Then you have a big jump. I noticed a big jump between eight and seven. So I looked at Enfield Town, 476 people at their match. Um, And then tier six, you have another big jump. That's where you're starting to touch a thousand people at matches. Tier 5, which is the National League, is, is getting to around 3,000 fans on average. Then it grows to, you know, you're going up the EFL, it grows to 20,000 average attendance in the Championship. And then you've got the Premier League above that, obviously. But, um, you know, even in the, the National League, so there is there is differences. Obviously, some clubs are bigger than others. So you have like Boreham Woods in the National League who get around 1,000 fans at a, at a game. But then in the same division last season, you have Wrexham, you have Notts County who are getting over 10,000. Wrexham is 15,000. Um, and yeah, the, 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 the attendances that you get, even at the lowest levels of English football, when you compare them to other countries, is pretty impressive. Like the de- I keep using that word depth, but that is pretty applicable when you're talking about the English League pyramid. I'm a, I'm aware that I'm speaking to a an occasionally dour Scott when I ask this question. But like, what is the how much belief is there when you're talking about those lower levels for the 400 plus people who are there supporting Enfield Town, for example? Do you feel like there is a tiny voice in the back of their heads that's like, you never know, maybe we'll be in the Premier League someday, or is it very much a you are supporting them as they are where they are because that's what you do? I mean, to give the boring answer to that, I think it depends on the individual fan and, 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 and their mindset. But I come back to the carrot of promotion and, and, and relegation and the mobility between these leagues. There are examples of clubs that have gone up and down these divisions. And OK, there might not be a level... Uh, what level are Enfield Town at? They are in level seven. I don't think a level seven club has ever gone to level one. But there are a number of examples of level seven clubs that have gone to level three or level four and have become, um, you know, Dorking Wanderers is a perfect example of that. They're now up to level five. They started in level nine, I believe, under their current manager. So there is that mobility. If you get a a, a good group, a good manager, even if you are just a club that has strong community roots and you can always count on that support. And I think that is, I think that is pretty crucial at the lower levels. You, there's been examples of very, very small English clubs that have been bought over by businessmen. I remember, um, oh, I can't remember the Ebbsfleet. Ebbsfleet Town yep. were bought by a website. They were going to completely democratise the process of even picking the team. And it was a fan-owned club, but it was a fan-owned club to the extreme. And it made news headlines and so on. But they never really amounted to anything because one thing they failed on was having that physical um, community route. And they had fans from all over the world and they had owners from America and Brazil and whatever. But in terms of an actual community, they felt like they didn't really have that. So my impression is at the lower levels, you need to have that community routing, even if you do have a bit of financial backing behind the club. But yeah, the the, the mobility for a lot of clubs is is a feasible ambition because many teams have done it before. How how different is the atmosphere? Not even from a like 
like volume standpoint, like I'm I'm, assu- I'm assuming that like Celtic games are going to be slightly noisier than like uh, Sterling games, Sterling Albion games. But is the in your experience when you're talking about supporting at those lower levels, do you still get the intensity of the experience? Do you still get that that sort of the passionate atmosphere, or is it more so people sort of attending games in a in a more like stoic, polite sort of way? <laughs> you certainly do get uh, atmospheres like that. So obviously, I'm conflating between the Scottish League pyramid and the English League pyramid. Got more experience of the Scottish League pyramids. For anyone who subscribes to the TSS uh, Patreon, they'll have seen the video of me at Kelty Hearts. At the weekend, Kelty, a very, very small place, only 6,000 people live there, a very, very small club. And you do just kind of get the sense that at least half of the crowd were just old men that had stumbled into that <laughs> ground on their way home from the pub. And so that doesn't lend itself to the most uh, vociferous of, of atmospheres. But then, you know, the week before, it was Sterling Albion versus Falkirk. Falkirk brought 2,000 fans. That was a really great atmosphere. And I'd imagine it's the similar sort of experience in the English League Pyramid where you do have a lo- those local rivalries. You've seen it in Welcome to Wrexham in the National League when you've got teams chasing titles, fans getting engaged and buy into that kind of storyline as well, and that boosts attendance. So to be honest, I think it's kind of the same principle as any level of football. You know, you get teams in the Premier League and the Championship, maybe not so much in the Premier League because that's just, uh, you know, it's a giant, but in the Championship or EFL, you get clubs that maybe don't attract the same number of fans because fans have just kind of fallen out of love with their team. Maybe they don't have a great deal to play play uh, to play to for. Maybe they don't have that community rooting. And yeah, as I say, it's a similar principle at all levels. I could see it being a really positive thing and I could see it being a really negative thing because when you're going to Old Trafford or a Premier League club and there's 40, 50, 60,000 people there, I imagine it's harder to have like consistent conversations from week to week. When you're going to a game when there are 500 people there and you're sat with the same people every single time, if it's going well, I could see it being a very positive thing. If it's not going well, I could see those conversations turning negative and staying negative very quickly. So how, how much can the atmosphere flip, Graham, in, in your experience? Or does it tend to be more steady because you're not talking about like Champions League places or finishing in the top half of the Premier League. If you're talking about finishing in the top half of an eighth division, is there less pressure or is there still pretty sizable pressure on these players? Um, in my experience, there is there is often less pressure because I think fans generally, and again, it's down to the individual, but broadly speaking, fans maybe don't place as much importance on the result as maybe they do at the top level. I mean, if, if, you're a, if you're a Manchester United fan or a Liverpool fan or whatever, a Chelsea fan, it feels like the results and the performances are the most important thing. For a lot of fans, it's the only thing that matters about supporting their club. Whereas when you go down the lower leagues, maybe it's a little bit more rooted in the community. You, you kind of um, referenced there, Taylor, the, the sort of relationships that you're able to build up at a lower level of football. I think that's a really crucial thing because, again, speaking to my own experiences, when I went to Kelty Hearts, at the weekend there um, I, I stand with I sit or stand with my usual kind of group of pals um, who I don't actually travel to the game with but I meet them at the game but then I also speak to the photographer uh, Graham Hamming is his nickname I speak to the photog- Sterling Albion photographer he'll tell me about in- any injuries that have happened I'll talk to him about like the warm up or stuff like that you'll see directors of the club you say hello to them oh how's it going yeah yeah you had a good week so and so on and so forth I think those are the things that actually 
keep me going back to the games at that level. Those are the things that I actually look forward to. And of course, it's a bonus if your team wins a title, as my team did last season, or wins a game that always picks up your mood. And I'm not saying the results and performances don't matter at all, but it does kind of feel like the priorities are maybe a little bit different at that level, at the very lowest levels of football. So final question then. Uh, we know there are yo-yo clubs. You sort of bounce back and forth between divisions. Uh, like Birmingham City, I think, are a prime example of a team that gets relegated and promoted or did historically. Burnley would be another one that bounces back and forth. Fulham more recently between the Premier League and the Championship. But Graham, who are some clubs that you think of as being good examples of rising through the ranks? And then who are some clubs that you would say are the opposite of that in falling down those ranks? Yeah, so there's some some notable examples here. So Luton Town is obviously the example that everyone at the moment cites of a, of a club that has gone up and, and, and down the divisions, most recently up the divisions. Uh, they were in the National League seven years ago, and now they're in the Premier League. Now, I'm not sure how, how for how long they're going to stay in the Premier League, but nonetheless, they have been around the Championship Premier League level for a, for a few seasons now. That is very impressive, given that they don't have... Uh, you know, a big financial benefactor. They haven't really spent their way to that level. It's been pretty organic growth. Yeovil Town and Burton, looking at clubs that haven't quite made it as far as the Premier League. So those two clubs, they went from the National League to the Championship. And so Yeovil Town did it in 11 seasons and Burton did it in eight seasons. Um, back in the day, Wimbledon, uh, went from the Southern League all the way up to the old First Division. So I believe... That is level six up to level two. Uh, they had three promotions in four seasons on, 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 on that run. Uh, Bournemouth and Blackpool, they are two clubs that did make it as far as the Premier League. Obviously, one of them is still there. They have, they've done similar. Looking at clubs that have fallen down the divisions, uh, Bolton have fallen down the, the, the leagues pretty quickly. So they were a European team under Sam Allardyce and maybe some younger listeners um, struggle to envisage what that looked like. But Bolton were actually pretty good for a, for a period in the Premier League. They're now in League One and have uh, sort of really struggled with some financial issues. Portsmouth have almost had an exactly the same fall from grace. We're under Harry Redknapp. They win the... Uh, FA Cup, they get into European competition, they have a, a, a team full of internationals, they have a front line of Jermaine Defoe and Peter Crouch, which at the time was, was pretty impressive. Nico Crankyar plays for them at the time. They are also in League One at the moment and they've also had their uh, financial issues. The weird thing about Portsmouth is... Um, they're owned by Michael Eisner, who's the former Disney CEO. I don't know why that's so weird to me, but it's what what is the link there? Did he just want to buy a lower league Eng- English yep. team? Um, yeah, it. I guess Mickey Mouse football at that level of the English <laughs> league pyramid. Anyway, can't really think of a of of a link. And I guess you'd also they've had more than one mention in this episode already, but. I guess you'd also have to say Wrexham, who were a second-tier team in the 80s and then fell all the way down to the National League, which is the fifth tier. And now, of course, they are back up to the fourth tier now that they are Hollywood FC. One more for you, Graham. So let's stick with Enfield Town again, since you mentioned them. I'm going with them. Uh, If a... You know, let, let's say like a, a different Saudi investment fund came in and decided we want to work our way up. How easily could a club with good financial backing work their way up. I don't know the strength of the financial regulations at that level, but just from a recruitment, uh, like selling the branding and moving on up standpoint, like Wrexham would be the prime example, but Wrexham don't necessarily have that level of money behind them. So it has always felt to me like at some point they will sell to somebody who does, 
if they have the success to get moved up into League One or the championship. Whereas if you had somebody come in with nearly infinite money, do you feel like it could be a promoted, 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 promoted all yeah. the way up sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. I think the general rule, general, general principle in the lower leagues is it doesn't take a huge amount of money to achieve quite a lot of success. So just looking at some of the financials, it is difficult because a lot of the clubs in the bottom three levels anyway are so small, um, they don't like report financial information they're not floated on the stock exchange they're usually owned by a local businessman or something or or they're a community interest so they don't report any financials that way so it's a little bit difficult to get information at that level but you can kind of get a sense of the money that you're talking about so the highest paid player in the level six uh, in level six of the of the pyramid which is the the national league north and the national league south is uh, basically earning like a thousand pounds a week um, that's the highest paid player. Most players at that level are earning between £200 a week and £600 a week. So you're not talking about a huge amount of money at that level. These are these are guys that have um, that have day jobs. That just feels like a little bit of a bonus. Um, and if you look at the ticket prices as well, Amersham Town in level 10, it is £5 to go and see Amersham Town. Enfield Town, level 7, uh, £12, which... You know, it's, 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 it's not nothing, but equally it's not the money that you would pay to go to a game in the EFL where regularly prices at that level are like £30 and upwards. So there's not a huge amount of money sloshing around at, at, at that level. And, you know, I'm sorry to keep going back to Scottish football, but that is a, a little bit of my experience. We've had clubs that have gone from non-league up to even the championship. Last season, Queen's Park made it almost as far as promotion to the Premiership. They've spent... They have spent, I think it's half a million pounds in four seasons. They've gone through three promotions very quickly with that money. So I think it's a similar principle, maybe a little bit more in the English League because obviously you've got bigger clubs, bigger supports, and maybe it takes a little bit more money. But yeah, you can achieve a, a, a pretty high degree of success. I even think with Wrexham, like, I know that whole show is we're spending loads of money and we're outspending everyone in the league, and that is true to a certain extent. But I think if you were to compare their budget to a lot of EFL clubs... It would be it'd be pretty small in comparison, and they've they're now up into League Two and are kind of aiming for League One as well. Uh, since we're on the topic, uh, as I check it right now in Scottish League One, Stirling Albion fifth place. You're you're a few a few points ahead of the relegation spots. Graham, how are you feeling about the season so far? Um, growing in nervousness as the season goes oh on. We started off very, very well, but we are struggling for goals at the moment. Um, but yeah, we've got Alloa this weekend, which is that, that we had Falkirk two weeks ago and then Alloa are other big rivals. So that, that feels like, I think Alloa are like two points behind us or something like that. So, uh, yeah, it feels like a bit of a pivotal fixture, but I'll take fifth. If we finish fifth at the end of the season, that, that will be pleasing to me. All right. Well, if we get any more questions about the Scottish, uh, league system or something like that, we'll, we'll be sure to address them here on the, on this show, Graham. But for now, thank you for talking through the English league pyramid. Uh, we should mention, Though it is England, uh, we've talked about it plenty. Uh, you get Wales in there. I think you get a team from the Isle of Man. I think Jersey yeah. might be represented. So you do have other countries outside of England also uh, taking part. I don't know how many like leagues you have in the Isle of Man necessarily, but you do get clubs uh, playing in different competitions uh, yeah. across country lines, leading to the Ted Lasso joke, how many countries are in this country? <laughs> Four. So as I understand it, there are no... When we talk about the English League pyramid, there are no 
other leagues and other territories, if that makes sense. So, mm. for instance, the the Welsh club you're talking about, um, obviously uh, Wrexham being uh, one of them, Swansea, Cardiff City, they all play in the English leagues, and then Wales has its own kind of domestic league. I think it's similar with like the Isle of Man and and a lot of the kind of island nations as well. So, I think we can still call it the. I think that's still the correct term, the English league pyramid. It's just that Welsh and other countries play in the english league pyramid it's all very confusing it is it is indeed but i appreciate you making sense of it all graham thank you very much for bringing the knowledge today thank you taylor rockwell did i get all the illuminati keywords in? did i miss any on the on the google doc that you sent me uh, i think you got them all in i, I think okay. if not good, i'm sure good, we'll good. hear about it from our yeah. illuminati overlords yeah tom cruise uh, will be happy <laughs> ryan bailey wishes he were in the illuminati right we can agree on that <laughs> Are we sure that he's not? <laughs> no, we're not. See, but I feel like Joe would be the one to low-key be in the Illuminati and just not tell anybody. Whereas Ryan, I, I feel like he would at least post once about the robes uh, that You're he right, got. yeah. Ryan would let it slip. Yeah. He would He would whisper to someone at some point he'd be taken away by men in dark suits. <laughs> well, if that happens, I guess we'll talk about it on Soccer 101, probably on the main <laughs> feed as well. Uh, but listeners, thank you all so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again with a different concept next week. 